Hello and welcome to Genetics Unzipped, the Genetic Society podcast with me, Dr. Sally LePage. In this episode, we're saying bye-bye to the boys and exploring whether new gene technologies and climate change will make males extinct. A quick little note before we get started with the episode. We are obviously a genetics podcast, so when we're talking about males and females, we're going to be talking a lot about genetic sex determination and cool stories from the world of genetics that affect the sexes of a whole host of species. When it comes to humans, we recognise there's a whole lot more to human sexual characteristics, gender and sexuality than just two chromosomes, certainly more than can fit into a half-hour podcast. But as a former evolutionary biologist with more than a passing professional interest in sex, or rather sex determination, I think chromosomes are as good a place as any to start. In the rare event that I am invited to parties, my party trick is that I can sex a fruit fly from two metres away. Of course, I then have to explain that I can do this for exactly one species of fruit fly, Drosophila melanogaster, the subject of my PhD, and that sexing a fly means determining its sex, is it female or male, and has nothing to do with having intercourse with it. Unsurprisingly, after displaying this skill, it is an even rarer event that the hosts invite me back to future parties. My social life aside, sex determination is something that happens every second of every day around the world. If a species has two sexes, and most animal species do, then every time a sperm and egg cell fuse, that resulting offspring has a decision to make. Should I develop into a male or a female? Should my stem cells divide and specialise into testis cells or ovary cells? For some animals, it goes even further than what's in their gonads or between their legs. Think about the difference between a peacock and a peahen, or a male lion and a lioness. This is what we call sexual dimorphism, where females and males look strikingly different from one another in size, shape and colour. Sexual dimorphism is how I'm able to tell a male fruit fly from a female fruit fly. Though they're only about a millimetre long, females are twice the size of males and have a white belly whereas males have a black bottom. There's obviously a lot riding on the decision. So how does a fertilised egg cell decide whether it's male or female? Well, for humans, you guessed it, it's down to the X and Y chromosomes. Got two X chromosomes? You're genetically female. Got one X and one Y chromosome? You're genetically male. But why is that the case? You may have heard that all embryos start off female and if a Y chromosome is present, it becomes male. If a Y chromosome isn't present, it remains female. Usually this comes up whenever someone questions why men have nipples. 
And it's kind of true, but as is often the case, the biology is a bit more complicated than that. For the first few weeks of development, human embryos are neither male nor female. Or you could say they are both male and female, depending on how you want to look at it. All human embryos grow a malarian duct that can develop into the cervix, uterus and fallopian tubes, but they also grow a wolfian duct that can develop into the seminal vesicles, epididymis and vas deferens. That is to say, they have both female bits and male bits. Then, around week 5 or 6, the influence of the X and Y chromosomes kicks in. The Y chromosome contains a very important gene called the sex-determining region Y, or SRY gene for short, that sets the embryo on the road to biological maleness. Fun fact, Robin Lovell-Badge, who we heard from in our last episode talking about the ethics of genome editing, was one of the co-discoverers of this gene. And it was only discovered in 1990, which to me seems like an incredibly recent discovery for such an important gene. The SRY gene makes a protein that activates a whole bunch of male-specific transcription factors, which basically run around the rest of the genome shouting things like, Turn those non-specific gonads into testes! Ramp up testosterone production. Get rid of that malarian duct so we don't grow a uterus. Of course, that can only happen if the SRY gene is present. Without the SRY gene barking orders to become male, the embryo develops as female. Although this is far from the passive act that the all embryos are default female line would have you believe. Becoming female is just as active and complicated a process as becoming male, as the embryo starts ramping up female transcription factors, getting rid of the Wolfian duct, and turning the gonads into ovaries. This also explains some of the rare conditions we see known collectively as differences of sex development. Just because you've got a Y chromosome doesn't automatically mean you'll develop into a typical biological male. If your SRY gene isn't working properly, it can lead to someone who is genetically male developing typically female reproductive organs. And sometimes the SRY gene will hop onto the X chromosome instead of the Y chromosome. In this case, it would mean that someone who appeared to be genetically female with two X chromosomes would still head down the male reproductive pathway. Overall, though, we say that humans as a species have chromosomal sex determination. Just like all the other mammals, it's our X and Y chromosomes that determine whether we become biologically female or male. Other groups of animals also use sex chromosomes, but they have a different system to our XX and XY. Birds, as well as species of fish, crustaceans and insects, for example, use the ZW system, where if you've got two Z chromosomes, you're male, but if you're ZW, you're female. However, chromosomes are far from the only system of sex determination there is. And once a species has settled on a form of sex determination, it's not necessarily guaranteed that it's going to stick with it.
You're listening to Genetics Unzipped, the Genetic Society podcast. You can find out more information about this episode on our website, geneticsunzipped.com, or come and say hello to us over on Twitter at Genetics Unzip. Here's a reminder of what's coming up over the next two weeks from the Genetics Society. The deadline to apply for the Junior Scientist Conference grants is the 1st of April. These grants are open to undergraduate, master's, PhD students and recent postdoctoral scientists to support attendance at genetics conferences. You can apply for up to £1,000 towards travel, accommodation and registration fees. And you can find out all the details at genetics.org.uk or there's a link in our show notes. Like many of the Greeks of his time, Aristotle thought men were hotter than women. Now, what Aristotle got up to in the bathhouses of Athens is no concern of ours, but he did think that heat gives rise to males and cold gives rise to females. To the extent that he thought the temperature of the man during sexual intercourse affected the sex of the baby. He even went so far as to tell men who wanted a male heir to try and conceive during the summer when the weather was warmer. Now, if you know anything about Aristotle, you probably know that he was wrong about an awful lot of things. This was a man who thought that the sun revolved around the earth and even, for some reason, thought women had fewer teeth than men. But for all his mistakes, Aristotle was kind of right about the temperature thing, if you're a reptile, that is. In alligators, crocodiles, turtles and some fish and lizard species, your sex isn't determined by your chromosomes, but by the temperature of the egg during incubation. Take, for example, sea turtles. There are seven species of sea turtle, and all of them have temperature-dependent sex determination, meaning that they produce more females the warmer it gets. As I'm sure you've seen in David Attenborough documentaries, when a female turtle is ready to lay eggs, she hauls herself up onto a sandy beach in the dead of night and digs a hole in the sand with her hind flippers about as deep as your arm. In here, she'll deposit her clutch of about a hundred eggs and carefully cover the nest by burying it with more sand, leaving her precious eggs to incubate for the next two months. If you cast your mind back to the last time you built sandcastles at the beach, you'll remember that the sand gets slightly cooler the deeper down you dig, so each of her eggs incubates at a slightly different temperature. Inside each egg, the enzyme aromatase is busy at work converting testosterone into oestrogen. But here's the crucial bit. It's more active when the temperature is warmer. If the egg incubates at 31 degrees C or warmer, enough testosterone is converted into oestrogen to produce a female turtle. If it's 27.7 degrees C or cooler, you'll get a male turtle and you get an assortment of female and male turtles from the eggs that incubate between the two temperatures. When you think about it, it's pretty astonishing that turtles have evolved to have such fine control over the temperatures of their nests, 
keeping them within that three degree range. As a result, the sex ratio of the species, or the relative number of males and females, has remained fairly stable for thousands of years. That is, unfortunately, until the last few years. As you can probably guess, global warming is a bit of a nightmare if you're a species that relies on temperature to control its sex ratio. As the temperature of the sand rises, more and more turtles hatching are females, and this is happening all around the world. For green sea turtles on the Great Barrier Reef in Australia, Hatchlings at the more northern and therefore warmer beaches were 99% female. In Florida, one turtle hospital reported that every single turtle they have tested for the last four years has been female. They haven't found one male. And if there aren't enough males to go round, that means fewer and fewer females will get to mate and lay eggs until the population dwindles into extinction. Natural selection loves individuals who can beat the system, and being a male in such a female-skewed population is like winning the natural selection lottery. Imagine being the one male turtle that gets to mate with 99 female turtles. That's a lot of opportunities to pass your genes onto the next generation. And if you're a female that's genetically predisposed to dig your nest a little deeper where the sand is cooler, or even lay your eggs earlier in the year before the beach gets too hot and you produce more males as a result, Think how successful your sons will be. Any genes that make you more likely to produce males will be super successful and we could see turtles adapt to warming temperatures and the species returning to a more even sex ratio. But unfortunately, natural selection takes time and it's now a race between how fast climate change progresses and how fast the turtles can adapt in response. There's a small relief to be found in the direction of this skew. Having only 1% of your population being male isn't great, but one male can fertilise an awful lot of females, albeit causing a massive decrease in genetic diversity, which isn't great for the species overall. If it had skewed the other way and 99% of the species were male, Well, there's only so many eggs those female 1% can produce, and the species would be nosediving into extinction. American alligators might face this problem, as for them, warmer eggs leads to more males. Imagine being one of the few female alligators having to fight off hundreds of male suitors, all clamouring for your affection. Not a pretty sight. What's even more unsettling is that climate change might not only affect species that use temperature to determine their sex, but even species that have genetic sex determination. Higher temperatures during embryonic development can lead to something called sex reversal, 
where an animal is born with the physical characteristics of one sex, but the genetic code for the other. Take, for example, the common toad. Instead of having X and Y chromosomes, they've got Z and W sex chromosomes. Males have two copies of the Z chromosome, ZZ, and females are the heterogametic sex. That is, they have one copy of each, ZW. You could have an embryo with ZW chromosomes, i.e. genetically female, but if it develops under warmer conditions, the higher temperature affects the activity of the male hormones and the embryo becomes masculinized, developing the physical characteristics of a male toad. This genetically female but physiologically male toad could then mate with another female and have offspring. Now, if toads were using the XY chromosomal sex determination system, two genetic females mating would be XX and XX, so the only offspring they could produce would have XX chromosomes, i.e. females. So even though warming would masculinise one generation, there would be an increase in the number of females born to balance it out in the next generation. But with the ZW system, a masculinized ZW toad mating with a normal female ZW would still produce ZZ male offspring. So because of the sex chromosomes they use, the toads can't counteract the masculinizing effect of warmer temperatures as easily. So the proportion of physiological males increases. And one study compared six different amphibian species over the last 60 years and found that, indeed, the two species that had the ZW system were becoming half a percent more male-dominated each year. But the four species that had the XY system remained stable. If the toads are unable to adapt and the proportion of males continues to increase, there's a small possibility that physiologically female toads could cease to exist, and with no females to lay eggs, the whole species could ultimately, well, croak. In our previous episode, we were talking about the ethics of genome modification, and one of the areas of debate was the use of CRISPR to edit the genes of farm animals. We've been tinkering with genomes for as long as farming has existed, purely by selective breeding. Domestication is by definition the process of breeding animals with desirable genes. But at the end of last year, researchers in Israel made a pretty major gene editing breakthrough. Female-only chicks. One of the major ethical concerns with the egg industry is that only female chickens lay eggs, but 50% of chicks are male. Right now, there are people in the world with the title of chick sexer, whose job it is to identify males from females when the chicks are only a day old. It's a highly skilled job that involves gently squeezing the cloaca, or business end of a chick, and seeing if a male bump is present. 
It apparently takes three years to train as a chick sexer, and you're expected to be able to sex about a thousand chicks an hour, or one chick every four seconds, with a 98% accuracy rate. So it's not for the faint-hearted. In 2015, there was even a chick sexer shortage in the UK. I can't possibly imagine why. And the poultry industry were offering salaries of £40,000 a year. The reason why sexing chicks is so valuable to the egg industry is, of course, because male chickens don't lay eggs. So poultry farmers don't want to spend money feeding and housing males for any longer than they have to. As a result, an estimated 29 million male chicks are killed every year in the UK alone. As a way to improve animal welfare in the poultry industry, a team of researchers at the Volcani Institute near Tel Aviv, led by embryologist Dr Yuval Cinnamon, have come up with a clever genetic technique to prevent male chicks from hatching. Now, as I'm sure you can imagine, if this technique works, it will be worth billions to the egg industry. So for now, the specifics are being kept under wraps as the team plan to license the technology. But here's what we know so far about how it works. Chickens, like all birds, use the ZW sex chromosome system. If you think about this from the chick's perspective you're always going to inherit a Z chromosome from your ZZ father. If you're a ZW female chick, you inherit a W chromosome from your mother. And if you're a ZZ male chick, you inherit a Z chromosome from your mother. What Cinnamon's team have done is they've created a modified version of the Z chromosome, where if you shine blue light on a developing egg and it has this modified version, the embryo stops developing. So if all the mother hens have modified Z chromosomes, all of their sons and none of their daughters will inherit the modified form. So you can shine a blue light on all the eggs and only the male ones will stop developing, with all the resulting hatchlings being female future egg layers. You've got to admit, it's an ingenious solution. If you're following along at home, you'll have spotted that the female chicks that are born don't inherit the modified Z chromosome, which is good news if, for whatever reason, you're worried about eating modified DNA, but bad news if you're a farmer who wants to use some of those females to produce the next generation of egg layers, as you're back to square one with your chicken sexing problem, unless, presumably, you buy in more genetically modified breeding stock. As with many advances in genetically edited crops and animals, there's always the risk that this technology could funnel profits into the hands of a small number of companies. And if this technology is only available in a small number of chicken breeds, it could reduce the genetic diversity of farmed chickens worldwide, which is never a good thing, especially when we seem to face wave after wave of bird flu and other infectious diseases. But this is still some pretty cool science that could have massive welfare implications for the farming industry, preventing billions of male chicks being culled each year 
by altering their genetics so that males are never born at all. And finally, it wouldn't be a genetics podcast about the disappearance of males if we didn't address the perennial headline that the Y chromosome is disappearing and men will go extinct. I swear I see articles about the disappearing Y chromosome popping up in the news every single year and each one follows the same sort of logic. The Y chromosome used to be the same size as the X chromosome 166 million years ago. It's since shrunk to just a third of the size with only about 55 genes compared to the X chromosome's 900 genes. And if we extrapolate from the rate it's shrinking, it'll be completely gone in less than 5 million years. Oh no! men will go extinct. As well as questioning whether this is A, true, and B, something to worry about, it's also interesting to ask why the Y might be disappearing. Most chromosomes come in pairs, and each member of the pair contains pretty much the same information, give or take a few mutations or variations. To make an egg or sperm cell, a germ cell has to halve the number of chromosomes it has. In humans, a normal cell has 46 chromosomes, whereas an egg or sperm cell has only 23, and we call this meiosis. But the cell doesn't just pick one chromosome out of each pair and throw away the other. First, it goes through a process called genetic recombination where enzymes cut the DNA up and swap pieces of DNA between the pair of chromosomes, creating two new chromosomes with completely new combinations of genes. This process is super important at weeding out harmful mutations. Imagine if you had a hand of cards with some really good cards and some really bad cards. Overall, it would average out, and maybe you would win your game with it, maybe you wouldn't. But if you shuffled with the deck and now you had a hand of all really bad cards, you'd definitely lose your card game and that whole hand would be eliminated. Genetic recombination allows harmful mutations to be exposed to the game of natural selection and they can be weeded out when they're so harmful that the individual can't survive or reproduce. The Y chromosome, however, can't go through this process. The Y chromosome doesn't contain the same genes as the X chromosome with a few mutations here and there. It contains completely different genes. When two Xs get together in someone with XX chromosomes, they can recombine and get rid of the bad genes because you pretty much never get YY chromosome pairings, the poor old Y never gets the chance to dump all its bad mutations. It just accumulates and accumulates mutations until the genes are rendered completely useless and eventually disappear entirely. And it's not just that the Y can't get rid of mutations, 
it also accumulates them more quickly too. Whereas females are born with all the eggs they can produce, males continuously produce sperm cells throughout their life, meaning cells in the testes are continuously dividing and dividing, each time opening up the possibility of generating a new mutation. Since the Y chromosome can only be inherited through the sperm, they're much more likely to be subject to this higher mutation rate. With the double whammy of collecting more mutations and not being able to get rid of them, it's not ridiculous to suggest that the Y chromosome might eventually become so mutation-addled that it just disappears entirely. In fact, it's already happened. In the Amami spiny rat. These rats just don't have a Y chromosome. They used to, two million years ago, but now it's gone. Both females and males have just one X chromosome. But even without sex chromosomes, there are still males and females. So, how? This was a conundrum that Asato Kuroiwa and her team at Hokkaido University in Japan set out to solve. The first step was sequencing the genome of several males and females and looking for genes that were only present in males. Basically, looking for genes that might have replaced the function of the SRY gene that had been lost as the Y chromosome disappeared. But they couldn't find one. Kuroiwa looked even closer at the genomes. There must be a difference somewhere. Then she spotted it. The male rats had a duplicated region right next to a gene called SOX9 on one copy of their chromosome 3. But only one of the pair of chromosomes had this duplication. And what is this SOX9 gene? Well, it only happens to be one of the key genes that the SRY region activates when it's barking its orders to masculinise the embryo, telling the embryo to grow testes. The duplicated region next to the SOX9 gene boosts the activity of SOX9, which means it has the exact same effect that the SRY gene has in triggering testes development. Two different parts of the genome, same result. If you're a spiny rat and you inherit a copy of chromosome 3 with the duplication, you're a male. If neither of your chromosome 3s have the duplication, you're a female. Chromosome 3 has essentially become the new X and Y chromosomes. We can now piece together the clues and figure out how the Amami spiny rat lost its Y chromosome. Two million years ago, all male rats would have had a Y chromosome. Then at some point, this duplication occurred and some rats would have had both a Y chromosome with the SRY gene and a copy of chromosome 3 with the overactive SOX9 gene. Two genes doing the same job. And once you've got redundancy like that, it doesn't matter if the Y chromosome dwindles away and disappears completely. The SRY gene can gradually mutate itself into oblivion, safe in the knowledge that the overactive SOX9 gene will step up to the reins. So that's how one species of rat is able to lose the Y chromosome without any problems. But 
What about humans? Well, the Y chromosome isn't quite as helpless to mutations as I've perhaps made it out to be. Although it can't undergo recombination with the X chromosome, except at the very tips, it can, so to speak, recombine with itself or go through what we call gene conversion. The Y chromosome has an unusually high number of palindromes, DNA sequences that read the same forwards as they do backwards, like the words civic or refer or solos, or even phrases like never odd or even. Imagine a mutation happened and the phrase said never add or even. Well, if you knew that it was supposed to be a palindrome, you could use the back half to predict what the first half should say and correct the mistake. And not only does the Y chromosome have lots of these palindromes, it also just has a lot of duplications that all result in there being multiple copies of the important genes. Between them, these act as a backup. Sure, the Y chromosome might be particularly prone to mistakes and errors, but it can just use the backup copies of the genes to correct those mistakes as and when they occur. So, yes, the Y chromosome is slowly shrinking, but it's doing its best to keep itself present and correct. And even if the Y chromosome does disappear, either the SRY gene could hop onto a different chromosome making that chromosome the new Y chromosome, or, as we've seen with the rats, another region of the genome entirely could take over the role of the SRY gene, so the species can continue to have males without a Y chromosome. So, don't worry men, you'll be sticking around for at least a few more millennia yet. That's all for now. We'll be back next time taking a look at direct-to-consumer genetic tests after Chris Hemsworth made the news for revealing that he has the ApoE4 gene that puts him at the highest risk for Alzheimer's disease. Should people be getting health predictions from an online test? And what are the consequences? For more information about this podcast, including show notes, transcripts, links, references and everything else, head over to geneticsunzipped.com. You can find us on Twitter at geneticsunzip and please do take a moment to leave us a rating in the Spotify app or write us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really makes a difference by pushing us to the homepage and it helps more people discover the show. This episode of Genetics Unzipped was written, presented and produced by me, Sally LePage, with additional research by Eleanor Bird. It's a first Create the Media production for the Genetics Society, one of the oldest learner societies dedicated to promoting research, training, teaching and public engagement in all areas of genetics. You can find out more and apply to join at genetics.org.uk. The executive producer is Kat Arney. Our theme music was composed by Dan Pollard. The logo was designed by James Mayle. And our editor is the wonderful Emma Werner. Thanks for listening and until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.